I'm ready. Let's do it. Welcome, everyone, to episode 227 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I'm your host, Victor. And for this episode, we have a really cool interview with Mr. Todd Severin, the founder and president of Ripple Music. Now, this interview happened thanks to Eric Kluber of Void Vader, who's been not only one of my biggest supporters, but been on the show more than anyone else over the years. He was on episode number one of the podcast way back when in 2009, and he was on recently. So he mentioned, you know, you need to speak to Todd. I think it'll be really cool to um, for you to hook up with him and talk about the label and what we have going on and so on and so forth. And man, this is a, a really neat interview. Um, I mentioned this during episode 226. You know, I spoke to Andrew Bansall recently about Metal Assault Records, uh, but Todd has been in the game for a little bit longer. Um, it was interesting to get his take on a bunch of different things from physical product to, you know, digital streaming, uh, you know, between Spotify and YouTube and, and iTunes or Apple Music. You know, we hear all of these artists complain about not getting paid or, or not having this happen or that happen. And he brings up a really good point about what it was like back in the day and what it's kind of always really been about. Um, everything has changed. Everything has changed due to, you know, big corporate music entities or multinational companies taking over companies within uh, you know the, the the music industry or the music business and so things have transitioned from am to fm to satellite to you know youtube and spotify and apple music and similar platforms being the way that most bands are promoted nowadays um and podcasts. See, unfortunately, I don't get to play music like I used to. Um, there was a big to-do a few months back about, uh, you know, Spotify kicking a lot of people off. There was talk that it was Universal had a hand in it. But um, Spotify launched their own podcasting platform called Anchor. A lot of people love it. Works great for a lot of people, but this is something I've been talking to a lot of other podcasters recently. You have to read the fine print with everything, okay? Um, I have always hosted my shows myself. I realize that it takes longer to do things. It's a little bit more arduous in the end, but you own your own content in the sense that if I place a commercial during one of my shows, 
it's because I wanted to place that commercial there. It's because somebody is paying me and I've agreed to include that commercial. It isn't where, in this case, a platform like Anchor, if you read the fine print, they can place any ads that they want before your shows, after, during, so on and so forth. They can they actually end up owning your content. Read the fine print. If your show takes off, let's say, and this is very unlikely to happen to the majority of us independent contractors, independent podcasters, excuse me. <laughs> if you happen to have a successful show that takes off, Anchor owns the name of your show. They own your content. They can say, you know what? Love the show. Love the concept. Love the format. Don't love you as a host. Oh, crap. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, we're changing hosts. Well, it's my show. No, it's not. You signed it over to us when you signed up for Anchor. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah, of course. Read the fine print. There's a lot of different things. Podcasting is hot, okay? So there are a lot of things out there, a lot of different services that are creeping up because people uh, can't do a lot of things themselves. They don't have the time to do it or don't have the money. You know, there's a bunch of different reasons. I was lucky enough to start up with this a dozen years ago and learned how to do web design as a result, um, which is why I'm doing web design for a living now, vmrit.com. Uh, anyway, so you can leverage that to help promote your shows and do marketing and integrate different things. And if you do it the way that I did, you control everything. But if you go to another platform, I know of people that were on platforms where because of this whole Spotify thing, they were instantly kicked off. They kicked off of Spotify and kicked off of the platform that they had already paid for. You sign up for a year and then they said, oh, you violated our terms of service because you included music. So you're gone. Okay. That's the reality of things where due to pressure from big music, big labels, they kicked people off of different platforms. Here's the thing. The way that satellite and the way that terrestrial radio is structured now for a lot of bands that are on Ripple Music, Frontiers, um, even Metal Blade and uh, Nuclear Blast and stuff like that. Podcasters, for the most part, are the last like people waving the flag for a lot of these bands. Um, it sucks that there was this clampdown on things because I love playing music from bands. I love playing Void Vader and I love playing... You know, I wish I could sit there and say, hey, I'm going to do a whole show just dedicated to bands from Ripple Music. Let's play their music, 
let's get people, you know, after sampling part of the music, let's get them to go out there and pick up the album. Go to the band camp. Go to the Ripple's site and pick the stuff up. I always say it. If you hear something on a streaming platform and you like it, support the bands you love. Pick up the physical, the, the, the physical album cassettes, which are coming back, CDs if it's available, or buy the digital version if that's what you prefer to do. Um, there are so many ways to look at this, and I've had to pivot like other shows, like bands have. The entire industry has had to pivot due to one reason or another. Um, I've heard through the grapevine that there's something being worked out so that podcasters can pay X amount a month or a year to be able to include music in their shows. Fingers crossed this is something that happens because if it does, I could put out music-based episodes again. In the meantime, this is what we have, interviews and stuff, and, and I hope that you enjoy that. And uh, I thank you for checking out this episode. Um, if you were able to check out that Saturday night, Saturday night episode that I did with Todd, thank you for um, watching it live and commenting. If not, it's up there on YouTube. You have this audio version. Please join us every Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, 11 p.m. in the UK for the Signals from Mars live stream. If you go to MarsAttacksRadio.com, you'll find all of the links pertinent to be able to watch the live stream as it takes place and join in or subscribe to the podcast. I thank you once again for joining us today. I hope you enjoy this interview with Todd. I had a blast recording it. And that is it. See ya. Enjoy. Welcome, everyone, to a special Saturday edition of the Signals from Mars live stream brought to you by the Mars Attacks podcast and by VMRIT.com. We have a very special guest tonight, Mr. Todd Severin of ripple music how are you sir i'm doing very well thank you so much for having me on today absolutely um it's not often that uh i get to speak to the head of a label uh or that a band believes so much in the label that they're on that they keep telling me you need to speak to todd you need to speak to todd so oh that's cool who's that yeah eric uh, kluber avoid vader um Eric has been in my show more than anyone else. He was on episode number one. This will end oh, up being, ep yeah, this will end up being episode 227, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, every episode or every band that Eric has been in, I've interviewed him at least once in that band. And since he's been in Void Vader, I think I've interviewed him three or four times. And uh, Lucas, I've interviewed twice as well. So, well, Eric is a guitar Viking, man. He's like somebody, he's like off the television show. He should have been an extra in the Vikings TV show, but like with a, you know, flying V on his back instead of a battle axe. That's Eric to right. me. Yeah, he's a great guy. <laughs> They're a great band. So wait, episode one, which band was he in then? Uh, you know, it's funny. I think he had just left White Wizard at the time. So it was pre-Gypsy Hawk. Okay, okay. Yeah, he's got quite the discography, doesn't he? 
Yeah, yeah. A white wizard, Gypsy Hawk, um, Void Vader. He played a little with Scattered Hamlet, played with Intronaut. Played yeah, Iron, with- yeah, yeah, Iron Knot. Iron Knot. There you go. Not yeah, I always yeah. get the two confused, but it's funny because when he was in that band, I played that band to death. So I, I still get confused on the name. But uh, anyway, I do want to thank uh, the people that are joining us in the chat as well. Jeremy up in the UK. And I believe this may be your wife on Facebook uh, who's joining us. You mentioned that is uh, Mrs. Racer, uh, Mrs. Ripple. She makes everything run here, man. Without her, nothing happens. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so starting off, I wanted to ask you, when you were a kid, what was the catalyst for you to, what piqued your interest to, to just listen to music, nonetheless, get into music? Oh, wow. Okay. Um, everybody has their story, of course. Right. Um, my childhood home was not a peaceful place, we'll say. Okay. It was, it was full of discord. And um, there was a, a lot of intrafamilial strife. And the one time in the family when uh, things were calm and peaceful and, and the family could actually get together was when my parents were playing music. So when I was a young kid, um, I remember very distinctively, like, uh, dad would bring home the new Cat Stevens record. And, okay. and he and I and my mom would all gather in the in the den and listen to the Cat Stevens record. Or I remember Neil Diamond's Hot August Nights and, and the Hair soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of Gordon Lightfoot and lots of Simon Garfunkel. So those were like um, the best memories I had in childhood because it was okay. when it was when the fighting stopped. Yeah. And, and it was just the music. And and my parents, even though um, I wouldn't say that they were really into music, they were really into listening to the music. So gotcha. when you listen to music, you would listen to the music and we'd mm-hmm. also listen to it and, and they would comment on the vocals or the, the singing or whatever. And so all that started entering my brain. And then when I got old enough, um, which was probably, uh, you know, AM radio first kind of becoming FM radio, but let's just say it started when Kiss Destroyer record came out because that's when I was old enough to just lock myself in my room and play right. music at top volume and use that to drown out everything else that was going on. And then it was just me and my music. And so, you know, that became a a shelter, became a, it became a place where you were protected and safe. Just me me and Gene Simmons. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's interesting because I always talk about how, you know, a lot of people like to compare, let's say, a band like Metallica. Uh, oh, why haven't they put out another uh, Master of Puppets? Or why haven't they, you know? And people don't understand that emotional connection with an album during certain points of your life. So even if they were to try to mimic that album, it would never live up to it. So right. an album like for Destroyer. It, yeah. it wouldn't live up to it for us, but there might be some other kid where that new one, Master of Puppets mm-hmm. 2, becomes their, our Master of Puppets 1. Right, right. It's well, possible. yeah, perfect example. Okay, so my son is actually turning 10 on Monday. Happy and birthday. they've, both of my kids have always grown up around music. And um, due to video games, due to the video game Fortnite, uh, ACDC had a whole... ACDC day on there when their last album power up came out. 
So because of that, my son started listening to their last album to power up. And out of the blue, he just says to me, dad, I really like the last ACDC album. I've been listening to it a lot. And I think it's my favorite album that I've ever listened to right now. And it kind of clicked with me. I'm like, this is someone who is unfiltered, doesn't care about what the lineup is, doesn't care if Malcolm is in the band, doesn't care if it's Bon Scott, doesn't care. And I started to think, you know, when I was a kid, I listened to Destroyer for the first time when I was four years old because my brother was... Uh, six years older than me, he had a live two and destroyer. And that's all we had in the house. Everything else was Spanish pop music and like Julio Iglesias and stuff like that. So to us, kiss was our escape as well, you know, and, and I can, you know, pinpoint albums. The same thing is, is what you were saying where things were in a certain way. And, you know, I would have to go in my room and lock myself away and listen to an album. And that was my way of saying, okay, we need to overcome this. You know, this is what's going to get me or this is going to be my force field in the meantime for me to, you know, face what's on the other side of that door. So when you were saying that, you know, I understood exactly what, you know, where you were going with that. And at the same time, what I think is great about what you're doing with Ripple is that the palette is so wide of what you have with the bands that you have you know, the artists that you do have on the label Um, for a new music fan who doesn't have to, you know, sit there and overanalyze things, you know, where you have to, I think it's a lost art of just getting lost in the music to put an album on and try to connect with it. Like you're saying, just listen to the music, even if it's going for, for a ride in your car and just getting lost in the music that you have on there are too many things with the internet where we have to psychoanalyze. Well, this sounds like this or so-and-so is a better guitarist or this isn't metal because it doesn't have this aspect. You know, there's so many rules and so many things now that didn't exist when destroyer came out, you know, there, there were, you talk about AM and FM radio. Um, I remember listening to that in, you know, stations out of New York where you would have pop music, rock music, funk music. It would all be mixed together. Everything didn't have to have a label on it. And then all the musicians at the same time kind of learned from all those different styles to kind of make their own thing. So, um, sorry, I, I kind of, uh, you, you, you touched, you touched the nerve kind of with your response. So I just felt like, you know, I, I wanted to share that with you. Um, no, I really appreciate that because you know, one thing about music and as, as you go through different life stages, the things that resonate with you and the way that you resonate with things changes. And music is as intensely personal as it can get, because as you said, it's, it's not just the song. It's how that song has filtered into your persona and how it's filtered into your memories and into your experiences. And that is never more powerful than in those formative years. You said you were four. I was uh, 13, I think, when Kiss Destroyer came out. And I'd never heard anything like it in my life. I, right. I never heard Kiss. I, one of my best friends had an older brother. 
And he was like the cool kid, you know, like he had the big fro, you know, and like, you know, we all, wow, he was like a star athlete. So, so everything he did was cool to us. And he had this great record collection with like Led Zeppelin and all these bands. And the truth is, I was listening to AM radio. I didn't even really know who a lot of these bands were, but he loved them and we thought it was cool. So me and my buddy were like, we were drawing all these bands logos before I even knew what their music was like, you know. And so I'd heard of Kiss and I was big into comic books at the time. And I remember I was in the store and there was the Kiss Destroyer record. And come on, if you want a piece of artwork that's going to attract a 13-year-old comic book love yeah. kid, right? And I knew it was this heavier music, but I just didn't know what it was like. So I, I bought it and I went home and the friend who I was with at the time was a Elton John fan. And we put it on his stereo and it starts off with Detroit Rock City, which yeah. starts off, as you know, with uh, you know the vocal, the radio, all the sound effects before it gets into the riff. And so when it's on. I mean, Simon and Garfunkel songs never started like that, right? You know? <laughs> right. And, and then the riff starts building. Din, 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 and, and I was like, wow, what in the hell is this? And my friend freaked out. He goes, oh, my God. Dude, wow, wow, what are you listening to? And I'm just like, what am I listening to? This is amazing. <laughs> you know, and Detroit Rock City was like that first like epiphany moment for me. I mean, I probably had heard some some heavy stuff on AM radio, you know, Zeppelin, you know, Stones, whatever, because they had hit songs that were being played on AM. Right. And I was probably just tuning into FM radio at the time. But that became like an epiphany where the world of music changed to me. And not only um, did it change in the way I was hearing it, but that was purely my music. You know, right. My parents hated it, which was even better, you know? <laughs> and so it, it, it became just my personal release. And so we all have these associations with music. The first time you hear something, you can probably remember where you were when you first heard it, if it was an impactful yeah. song for you. I, I do this with my wife all the time. I go, oh, honey, this is the song that was playing when we drove down into Thornberry on uh, the time when we were going to the castle to get married. And she's right. all, what? And I go, yeah, I remember. You know, it was Pink's, you know, <laughs> I'm coming up. I remember when we hit that scene. Because things, that's just the way my brain works. You know, my wife and I travel a lot. And she takes a lot of photographs and does videos and stuff like that. I take none. I've traveled the world tons and tons of times. I don't take photographs. But wherever mm -hmm. I am, I buy music. And I buy the indigenous music. And, right. and that becomes my photograph. Because I can put that record on. And no matter where I am, it could be Turkish classical music or Maltese pop music, whatever. I can put on a Maltese album right now. And boom, I'm in Malta. And I remember everything about that trip. That's that's just the way I work with music. Yeah. Uh, similar thing happens to me and my wife as I was like, how do you retain these memories? How does, I said, well, because it triggers a certain year, a certain place that we were at. There's always, you know, it's just the way some people's minds work. So I get it. Um, what made you want to start the label? Um, well, I mean, uh, to be quite honest with you, I'd never thought about it before. Um, okay. I, I had started a, a music site called The Ripple Effect, which was a blog. I'd started with a buddy of mine called The Pope. And that was just to write reviews on music we had in our own collection. You know, just, I liked writing. I liked music. You know, let's do a blog, just for fun. And through the blog, I started reviewing a lot of proto-metal. You know, the early, okay. you know, 1969 to 1972 time period, you know, before right when psychedelia was turning dark and you know, these bands, Sir Lord Baltimore dust, you know, the budgie, all these great bands that, you know, that weren't Sabbath Sabbath, of course, being amazing. Yeah. There was a whole lot of this proto metal stuff. And I was really, really getting into it. 
And through that time period, I reviewed bands like Bang, Sir Lord Baltimore, and I reviewed uh, Leafhound as well as the JPT Scare Band. And JPT Scare Band's drummer wrote me after I wrote my review. And he goes, dude, blah, blah, blah. And he and I started talking and we talked on and off for about a year. And then one day, a, a big stack of unreleased master CDs was mailed to me. And so I looked at this and I got this, and I still have them. I got this killer stack. If you've never heard JPT Scare Band, I mean, they were just what they say. They were a scary, heavy band, 1971. Uh, they, they never even really recorded at the time, or they put out, they recorded, they never put out an album at the time. They were just guys and their friends who go into this basement in Kansas City, get really stoned and play the heaviest music they can come up with. <laughs> And finally, their stuff was released in the 90s on a label called Monster, which is what I had reviewed. But he dropped me all these unreleased masters. And I said, this, this stuff is amazing, but I can't review it. It's not released. You know, but, but thank you. He goes, I don't want you to review it. I want you to put it out. Oh, wow. And it was like, what? <laughs> what? What are you talking about? I don't know. What, what does put it out even mean? I don't know what that means. And he goes, listen, right. I, I like you. I trust you. You'll do a good job with our music. So I spent you know, about a year researching what it meant to be a record label. Um, I'm a music junkie. I've always loved music. I have zero talent. I have, I have less than zero. I'm a, actually, I'm a talent vacuum. I will suck your talent out of you if I'm in your presence. So I was never going to be up on stage as a musician, but I like being behind the scenes. I used to be a radio disc jockey. So as I was thinking about this more, it's like, you know what? I could do this. This could be an amazing way for us to uh, work with some amazing bands and help expand you know the music to the world and, and get the, the the word out on what these great bands are doing whether it was these older bands which is kind of the way the label started or or more modern bands and so after researching it for about a year just kind of took the plunge and the very first record we put out was jpt scares bands uh, acid blues is the white man's burden was there any specific label that you looked into or any figurehead because i mean you especially in hard rock and metal you start to hear about like a brian slagle or like a monty connor or people like that right was your idea to try to look at what other labels had done and try to take the best of what you could out of them or even fashion yourself in a way after anyone else yeah i mean of course you're if you're ever going to do anything you should always start off with your history and learn from the successes and the mistakes of those who came before you. And uh, I know Monty and I know Brian now, and they're, they're great guys and, you know, full respect to everything they've done. Um, my label that I probably latched onto more though, as a business model for us was sub pop. Okay. And the reason is, is that sub pop, um, as you know, came out of a certain scene mm -hmm. out of a certain area. And it came from being a fanzine. Right. And then they started including, I think, some seven inch singles in their fanzines. I think they did some cassettes and that's how the label started. And so since we were a blog before we were a label, there was a similarity there. And okay. um, so I kind of and uh, to me, a, a label like Metal Blade or, or Nuclear Blast or, you know, I know I'm good friends with Mike Varney at Shrapnel. I mean, those labels are legendary to me. And I never even worked on the assumption that I would ever. Be, be able to create something like what they've done. I never would be mentioned in their breaths and I'm not, <laughs> but they're, 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 they're up there. 
But um, so I don't think I looked to those particular labels as much for inspiration because they were too far out of my grasp. But sub pop, I can okay. understand, you know, and I can do a real DIY thing because it had to be DIY. I got a day job, you know, and I, you know, I, I don't this was 2009 that we were starting and we didn't even know how to press records. We didn't know anything. So I, I was really, really on a shoestring budget and sub pop resonated with me the way that they came from the zine the way they did their seven inch subscription series just the way they cultivated their fans that was probably more the model i followed gotcha and, and that makes sense i mean just the way that how you described it i think a lot of people's mistake when they want to get into any area of business is not what you're saying examining the history and finding out what worked what didn't work and find a model that is close, even if it's not exactly the same, because sub pop obviously is geared more towards their scene. Um, but if you can take a business model out of that and fashion, you know, do it your way, right? It only makes sense, you know. No one is going to reinvent the wheel. So if you can take a wheel that's already been made and kind of make it your own and make it fit what you're doing, it right. complete sense. You know, if I had if I had thought about it at the time, I've since read the autobiography of the founder of Megaforce Records. Okay. And the way he started his label was pretty darn DIY. Uh, I, I really don't know exactly how Slagle and, and Connor got their labels off the ground. I just, I mean, to me, it was like the clouds parted and the Ivy Fortress fell down and they stepped in. <laughs> I'm sure. I, I'm ignoring all of their hard work and toil, but as to me, them, you know, they're just so legendary. Um, but you know, Megaforce started out of being just this little stall at a flea market selling records. So right. you know, probably could have looked at there. But then again, I didn't have you know Metallica give me their demo tapes. <laughs> God, right. I was working with a forty-year-old acid band from the seventies that nobody's ever heard of. So you know, still wasn't a great similarity. <laughs> No, I, I get it. Again, a lot of people don't realize that given circumstances or given certain events that take place, I was having this discussion with uh, someone earlier this week. Uh, one of the things that I've done over here is is help bands with um, making coherent lyrics. If you're trying to sing in English and you want to get across to an English-speaking audience, don't use Google translate to translate your lyrics, you know, run it by someone who knows the language and says, well, this kind of doesn't make sense. And I once had somebody say, well, Max Cavalera's lyrics back on the first few Sepultura albums. And I said, a, it's not 86 and B they're not fucking Max Cavalera. Right. Yeah. And not for nothing. I'm sure his wife, who was his manager, and his kids who were born in Arizona are not going to let him release anything that isn't coherent. Not to say that those first albums weren't, but obviously his English got better due to needing it to get better. People don't understand that, you know, you have to work in the, in the current time frame. So if someone were to jump, just jump on and try to make a label now, the chances that, you know, Metallica, the Metallica's demo drops in your lap. May not happen. May not happen. So, not. I mean, to, to go into the game already knowing, hey, these are my parameters. This is what I got to work with. I mean, I think you're ahead of the game of most people because obviously it's 
it's not going to be easy to start. So if you have certain, you know, if you're already pointing the ship in a certain direction, you know, you, you, you're already winning some of the initial battles. So one of the cool things and, and in saying, I didn't have Metallica's demo tape. I don't want that in any way to denigrate what I did have, which was some amazing stuff from JPT Scareband, because what that meant to me and really the only reason that the label happened and that I felt that I could do this was twofold. The first one was the whole proto metal vibe was starting to resonate with a lot of people again, you know, as the doom scene was growing, a lot of people saying, Hey man, did you check out dust? You know, do you know? And JPT Scareband was getting a lot of love. In fact, I got their information to even review them from reading an article in classic rock magazine, which was written by sleaze grinder on, you know, the history of metal. And so Mm -hmm. I was really into that scene and I knew that it was growing. So I knew that I had the potential to reach out to an audience who would recognize this band. So I wasn't taking Bill's band down the street and trying to make Bill's band happen. I was releasing archival material from a band that I knew some people would want. So that was leg up for one. Leg up number two uh, was kind of just fortuitous, but when I was a blog, I got um, to know a lot of other blogs. And so I had connections already with, with a certain aspect of the media. And every once in a while, when press releases would come out to me, uh, the press release, the promo company would forget to blind copy it. And so mm-hmm. I would get their entire mailing list. <laughs> and sometimes a, a, a email would come to me with a press release that had 200, 300, 400 other media sources on there and even though i didn't have a label and i had no reason i should care the first time that happened i just said i should save this it's like that that's i mean that's somebody's rolodex there's value there i don't know why and so i started saving them and so by the time ripple started i already had a rolodex of media contacts that was about 12 to 13 1400 so I started writing all of our original press releases and I can immediately get that out to 13, 1400 sources. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, you know, not every starting label would have the chance to do. So I had kind of two legs up that to me said, okay, I got this, I got this. I'm crazy. My wife said, it's okay. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> cool. And obviously you're, you're talking about the beginnings of the label but how do you feel that the label morphed? I mean, obviously you were focused on the proto metal initially, but you started expanding and started going out into other styles within hard rock and metal at the same time to, to, to kind of cast a bigger net. Was there something specific you had in mind? Okay. We're going to go after bands that are more, in the doom uh, subgenre or more stoner bands, or was it just a case of listening to music and just saying, Hey, this is cool. So this is who I want to go after. Yeah. Um, that's a really good question. So the archival sort of stuff, by the way, has always, that thread's been there, you know, like we've right. the best of bang. We've done a, we found live record. So I still love that proto metal. And when, and I have a couple projects coming up, but I, I'm not telling you about right now. <laughs> I got a couple projects. I got one really big one coming, uh, cool. and uh, and you'll love the band. And so I still love that stuff. But I mean, you could really trace the label's focus to a particular minute in time. Okay. Because at the beginning, we had the, some of the archival stuff, and we were kind of playing with just some cool bands that we had been hearing about, like 
And there's a band from Canada called Fen, who I really adore and love. And they're a little bit more of a progressive rock band. And we had a few other just kind of scattershot releases would be the best way to describe it. But we didn't have a focus. It was just like guitar rock. Right. Well, then there's this one day, it was Mother's Day, and it was probably 2010, maybe 2011. And I'm at the Mother's Day buffet, and I get a call on my phone, and I look at my phone, and it, the call's coming from Tony Reed. Now, Tony Reed, as you may know, is the main guy of Moss Generator and Stone mm-hmm. X, and he's in, uh, oh, crap, he's in the band uh, Big Scenic Nowhere. Uh, with a bunch of the other desert rock legends. And he's just, I mean, Tony's a, he's a genius. He's a musical genius. Right. I did not know Tony. I did not have Tony's contact information. Yet when he called me, it still said Tony Reed, which means like God wanted me to know <laughs> this was Tony Reed. It's like another one of those things. Like, he doesn't, you don't have to have his information on your phone already. He's Tony Reed, you know? And well, I go, what, what the hell's Tony Reed calling me about? I, I, I kind of had emailed him before because i reviewed a moss generator record because moss generator kicks ass as, as you know yeah. and yeah, yeah. uh so he just he called me and asked me if i wanted to do a split with uh, one of our bands we were working with at the time called mighty high and do a, a stone axe mighty high split he was in stone axe at the time and i said yes <laughs> you're Tony Reed. yes i'll do it <laughs> please keep talking to me <laughs> right and, uh, and uh, that led to him saying, you know, do you want to re-release the first Stone X record? Which I said, yes. You know, and do you want the Stone X 2? Yes. Do you want Stone X Live? Yes. You know, and and then it kind of led to, hey, you know, what about the first Moss Generator record? Yes. You know, and then we actually were partly responsible for Moss Generator reforming because they were done at the time. Right. But we, we did the, the five-year anniversary, big deluxe reissue of their first record. Ten-year ten year anniversary, I apologize. Uh, and um, and that kind of led the original Moss Generator coming back together. And so their first record back together was Nomads, which was released by Ripple. So Tony um, just, he clicked at that moment and it was like, okay, this is really the focus of where we're going. Not just Tony's music, but that vibe, that sound. And then from there, just expanded it in other directions, you know, because I don't want Ripple to be pigeonholed. It's got to have, like you said before, it's got to have variety. Right. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Is there, you know, is there a way to describe to someone, Hey, this is the, this is what a ripple artist needs to be because I, I look at all the bands and like you just said, it, it can be a few different things, but there isn't like one main focal piece where you can look at a special certain labels say, ah, they focus on this or they focus on this other format and then they don't come out of that box. Right. And, you know, part of it might be because my own musical taste is so varied that I don't right. want to be like that. But but more than that is, I mean, the, the heavy underground where we are, it's, it's really, really vast and it's really fertile. And so if you're going to look at the core of what a ripple is to me, you know, I, I I don't think of myself as a stoner label. I don't think of ourselves as a doom label. I don't think of us as heavy psych. I don't think of us as heavy metal. We're we're a heavy rock label, and it encompasses all of that stuff. Right. And if there was one core quality for the vast majority of music, and you you might point to a few items where it kind of um, there, there's an aberration, but 
it doesn't matter if we're doing heavy sludge, doom, occult, heavy psych, heavy rock, metal, stoner, or just good old-fashioned doom. It's Ripple's got a groove. I like the groove. I like music that moves me. You know, right. full respect to people that are into, you know, dirgy funeral doom. I fall asleep. I just, it doesn't, it doesn't catch my attention. It might be from the era where I grew up. Come on, I'm listening to Destroyer. I'm listening to Detroit Rock City. Whether you right. like this or not, that song's got a groove. So right. all of Ripple has got a groove. Talk about Void Vader, kind of that new wave of American heavy metal. They're, they're heavy, but yet they're, they're melodic with a groove. Yeah. And that, that groove is kind of what keeps me running through, I think, the common thread of most of our releases. Yeah. Funny, we circle back to Kiss. There's an argument that I've always had with people where I've always brought up the fact that I thought, based on the sound that Hotter Than Hell has, that to me it was a huge influence on the stoner scene because of how it was tuned, how it sounded sonically, but yet the melodies and different things that are in there kind of help to bring out certain things that when bands aren't just influenced by say Sabbath, you have other bands that have um, a band like snail comes to mind who I think is heavily influenced by a uh, cheap trick or kiss when it comes in, in the vocals. So I don't know, maybe call me crazy, but I think that um, that, that uh, hotter than hell has a huge influence on a lot of what stoner and a lot of what doom metal the, the more melodic stuff, oh, kind of that had a big influence on it, is what I'm trying to get at. Well, you know, I, I really appreciate you saying that because uh, I actually had this conversation with Craig Riggs um, and, and <laughs> okay. Tim Katz. Uh, Tim Katz is from, you know, Rotesaw, and he was, I think he was in White Dynamite at the time that I was talking to him um, about Kiss, because he's, Tim Katz is a huge Kiss fan. And to me, and you have to understand, I've been, a massive kiss fan my whole life now now kiss is the greatest band in the world and they're the worst band in the world i fully get it and, and i really don't listen to too much after they take off the makeup i mean or even up until the makeup went off i i had my time period and i'm kind of done with it but right um, of kiss's classic recordings to me their number one absolute best album is hotter than hell uh the, the debut is an amazing record it's got some fantastic songs on it but it's a little bit light. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm not a huge fan of Dress to Kill. I, I think it's just kind of a weaker album in general. The songs are just, they're a little too poppy for me. I got a Destroyer, but it's overproduced. It's a different vibe that they were going yeah. for. And there's something directly about Hotter Than Hell. First of all, it's got Ace Frehley's best kick-ass songs. I mean, Parasite by itself, I think, is a bigger influence than a lot of people will ever say. It is such a good song. Right. And I, I love that whole record. And it even has a song like Going Blind, which is just a twisted song. I mean, that is just a, mm -hmm. a weird and twisted song. Right. I love Hotter Than Hell. That is my favorite Kiss record. Cool. So finally, someone that I speak to that actually backs up my, uh, my theory. <laughs> Tim Katz agrees with you. <laughs> cool. Um, a few months back, it was announced that Belasco was going to start working with you guys. Um, how much or how important is it for the label to bring someone like Blasco in? A, a lot of people know him just from playing 
in Ozzy's band, but from a business side of things, he's managed a ton of bands. He's worked, you know, uh, behind the boards in certain cases as well. So it's someone who's will really well-rounded in the industry overall. So how big of an impact is it for ripple to have someone like him on board? Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's an amazing opportunity for us to work with somebody who has got a lot more experience and a knowledge base that's different than mine, you know, cause music is not my day job. Like I told you, this was right. so something I created. Um, the thing about Blasco, of course you nailed it. He's, he's known as the bass player for Ozzy. He did play with Danzig. He did play with Rob Zombie. So you got this guy who's been on stages in front of a hundred thousand people, but he is so in tune with what's going on in the underground and he doesn't just tune into it, but he's actively involved. He promotes it. You know, he has his podcast. He loves this stuff. The guy, the dude just loves music. And he and I just became friendly talking, you know, via Facebook. And then we had a few times we were chatting back and forth with texting about just about various things. And I was just thinking that this guy is so um, involved with what's going on. Wouldn't it be awesome if we just created a platform where he could pull out some bands that he really does enjoy and give him the platform to release them. So my original thought was that I would be creating like a series of releases uh, like I did with my second coming of heavy split series, but this would be a series of releases within ripple that Blasco would curate. And I presented that to him and he just kind of went with it. You know, I, I have to admit, I didn't necessarily know where or how our relationship would develop from that time. Right. Um, but he he's he's involved with every step of the process with these bands. He's executive producing the bands. He's involved in the artwork. Uh, he he loves it, and he's it's a thrill to work with him on all this. So of course, bringing somebody like that into the label is great because it's got its own ability to raise the label profile. Of course, um, right, and that's great for all of the bands on the label. Right. Because now everybody's kind of just been slightly elevated and he has picked a few bands off of the current Ripple roster and added them kind of to his stable of bands that he's working with. Now, our very first release under the Blasco Presents banner, he doesn't like that that term. They're not called Blasco Presents releases. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. He hates it. Um, (laughs) uh, But that's the way I think of them still uh, is going to be Holy Death Trio, which comes out in September. I believe, okay. or August, uh, it might be August. And then we have uh, High Desert Queen, which is coming out in September. And then we have Mother and Iron Horse coming out in November. So we have three of those releases coming to fruition this year. And then it's going to be really interesting to me to see how the relationship, the business entity that we're working with together, to see how that evolves. And to okay. see, like you were talking about, the the business aspects that can be brought to that fruition of things and to see where that Mm -hmm. goes because right now it's he and i working so directly with each other i'm bringing my knowledge of how we need to do the the label end and he's bringing his knowledge on how he needs to do the band and the executive producing end and then when that record gets out you know let's let's see what happens (laughs) (laughs) cool i mean it would it again it only makes sense to leverage someone's knowledge i mean if 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 you're able to work with him why not you right. know it just it, it 
again, I think a lot of people don't realize how important making connections with people is and then being able to maybe figure out, hey, how could I work this into my situation? How can we set something up so that, you know, I'm leveraging his knowledge, his background, his, I mean, Blasco Presents would have been like the seal of approval. That's like instant street cred right there, you know? Right. So you know, I, I get it. <laughs> uh, and and the, like you said, the guy manages Clutch. He manages the Black Label Society. He manages Zach Sabbath. He manages Black Veil Brides. Um, he's, he's conducted world tours. He brings a knowledge base and has access to a Rolodex that I don't. Um, right. And I didn't bring him in expecting to access that Rolodex. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will be honest with you. Of course, I'm aware Blasco is Blasco. I wasn't quite that calculated when I approached him. Uh, right. I, I, I thought he would have a lot of fun. I thought that he would just have kick-ass time doing this. And the truth is, since Ripple isn't my day job, I do it for fun. To me, right. this is my main, I don't golf. I, mm-hmm. I fucking heavy metal. And that's what I do. <laughs> and, and this is, I, I do it because I love it. Come on, Ripple. I've never taken a paycheck from this. If this was a job, I would be unemployed. I'd be homeless on the street in the gutters. <laughs> I do this because I love it. And that guy is as passionate about it as I am. So although on a business model, there's a lot to have gained. I, I wasn't either. I didn't have that much forethought or I just wasn't that calculating. I really did it because I thought this good this dude would love it, and he does love it, which is awesome. Now we'll see what happens. I mean, I, I, I'm not ignorant. I, I know what the guy can bring to the table. I don't push him for that stuff. I, I figure he'll bring what he wants to bring, and that's the way the relationship will work. Awesome. Okay. Um, was it a surprise to you that you would be releasing cassettes in 2021? Well, um, it, it would be a surprise if I ever did because I hate cassettes and I haven't done it. <laughs> we've, okay. we've, we've licensed some of our bands to have cassettes made because there's okay. labels that want to do that. And some mm-hmm. of the bands really want cassettes and I will absolutely do whatever's best for our bands. I personally hate cassettes and I just have never been motivated to put one of our own out, but that's because one of the first cassettes I ever bought brand new, I mean, true cassette was Judas priest, British steel, which is a, freaking amazing record right that was my first Mm -hmm. my first priest record and it lasted about three days before my tape cassette ate it and i (laughs) forget that i hate cassettes and i never really have gotten into cassettes ever since and i like i used to like making my own i like my mixtapes i like taping other people's records but i hated pre-production cassettes because you get eaten and it's always pissed me off so we haven't done cassettes, but there's a lot of good labors out there. There's Stoner Witch Records, there's Sludge Lord Records, there's Tridroid Records. We've kind of worked with all three of them uh, when they have an interest. Like I think Void Vader, uh, somebody, I think Stoner Witch came with Void Vader, but they come to me and they go, "Hey, uh, you know, we really like this record. We really like High Priestess. Can we put out the cassette?" I go, yeah, go for it. I'll give you the permission, no problem. Cool. Yeah, with um. The label, though, you guys have been doing a lot of really cool vinyl. Um, It speaks to the fact that, you know, there's still a lot of collectors out there. There's a lot of people that love vinyl. Um, Do you feel that your business gets affected by the streaming services or due to the fact that there is a hardcore base that loves their vinyl? Um, Do you feel that that really doesn't affect you? 
Well, you know, it's you bring up a very interesting question, but you also have to let's go just a little bit historically back to when we started. Ripple started in 2009. Uh-huh. Uh, and if you think back to what was going on in 2009, vinyl had not yet made its resurgence. Right. Sales had plummeted to a fraction of what they were. And there was no iTunes. There was no monetization of digital music yet at that time. It was all mm-hmm. Napster. So I started the label at the absolute worst possible time historically in the entire existence of the music industry. The worst time to start a label is when I decided this would be a good idea. Let's go ahead and do it. And not only that, but the very first record we put out of a 40-year-old acid blues band that nobody really had ever heard of in the main world uh, was a double LP, gatefold, two-tone, psychedelic translucent vinyl because that's what i fucking wanted on my record shelves you know because i have um a lot of records (laughs) that is one of 13 shelves that i okay and that doesn't count like i mean just the crap that's all over here seriously um so i wanted to put out product that i wanted my own record collection i mean that's half the fun of right and uh, i'm a vinyl guy so um so we always launched into vinyl. So to get back directly to your question, it's kind of the opposite for us because I started at the nadir. And what's happened since then is that vinyl has continued to grow at a rate of about 35% per year since 2010, which mm-hmm. math- mathematically now means that you know, vinyl sales since that time have, have increased several hundred percent. Right. And, and I'm in that. You know, I've always been plugged into that already. On right. top of that, you now have the digital sources of streaming, uh, which do provide revenue that I didn't even have at the time. Mm-hmm. And there are still some countries that buy CDs. So to be honest with you, from my point of view, we're in a healthier place now than we've been since the label started. Now, I didn't start my label in 1980 <laughs> where I was pressing right. 5 million copies or something, you know, but, right. um, you know, but we're, we, we sell out for most of the pressings that we do now. And that's because there is a ton of people are into vinyl. More people are getting into it every day. And what it speaks to is kind of what you were talking about at the very beginning. You know, you, you want to lose yourself in a piece of music and it's so much easier to do that when you got a cool record and you got, you know, an amazing piece of vinyl that you could be looking at and yeah, all of our records, you know, we're always going to be including, you know, inserts or liner notes or stuff. So you can just sit there and you can be tripping on the cool artwork, you know, while the cool vinyl is spinning and you're all, this is, this is an experience. And that's why vinyl is selling is that people want that tangible experience again. Yeah. Makes sense. And I think a lot of people, and, and this was kind of brought to my attention by um, a friend of mine that runs a site called uh, Ghost Cult Magazine. Great magazine. And Great. Yeah. He, he talked about the fact that because he's, his day job is um, uh, marketing for on the business side of things for, he, he's a marketing consultant. Um, so he was talking about how a lot of, Bands kind of look at streaming in a way that they don't leverage it enough in the sense that it should be used as a promotional tool to drive people to 
a cool piece of vinyl to a cool piece of merch instead of just crapping on it all day long, as opposed to saying, Hey, check it out. If you like it buy the physical, you're so right. And, 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 and not even buying the physical, what people are forgetting right now. And I've had long, long discussions with people on Facebook forums um, about this exact topic. And I can give you my point of view on it. When I was a kid, I told you we had AM radio and you mm-hmm. listened to AM radio and a band would get played. I don't know whoever choose whatever you want. The Carpenters close to you. Okay. I was always on AM radio, right? Uh, <laughs> they got paid a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction. It was like 0.00001 right. pennies per play. And they weren't bitching that they weren't getting paid from the radio play. The radio play existed to get the band known. And then, mm-hmm. and then the media, the label at the time, the media companies would, would utilize that to do what the labels could do. And bands need to look at it that way. Now, there's there's one difference with Spotify that I can I have to acquiesce on this one just a little bit, and that is that you can choose what you listen to, and you cannot choose what you could listen to on AM radio. So there is a tiny quasi ownership aspect to Spotify which didn't exist with AM, but you know that's just the playing field. This is what's being presented to you. You have a band, okay? These are your options. Spotify is going to pay craps. You're not going to be looking at Spotify as a source of revenue. You're going to be looking at Spotify as a way to connect with followers, to connect with listeners, to get onto playlists, to use your Spotify numbers as a way to um, position yourself so you can get into better shows, get onto better tours, get people to your website, get people to your Facebook and your social medias so you can interact with them. It is a tool. It is your new AM radio. Do not expect to get paid from it. That's not what it's about. It's not iTunes. You know, it's not a, a, a service where people are actually buying it from you. It's a place right. for people to listen to you. It's great. It's fantastic that it's here. And it's fantastic that there's become one which is more popular. Because if it was, you know, Pandora and eMusic and Spotify and yada, 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 like it is with everything else. Because we've lost, we've lost AM radio and we've lost FM radio. There used mm-hmm. to be, you know, when you were growing up in New Jersey, you had one radio station, right? And you were a rocker probably. So all of your friends, all of you guys listen to that one radio station. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. the one the trunk was on or not. It doesn't make a difference. Wherever you were, you guys had a radio station. And if a song broke in that radio station, they could break a market. But mm-hmm. what happened before Spotify started Dominance is that the dissemination of the attention, the space was Mm -hmm. so large. You know, there's no way you can build that sort of a following with 30,000 little options because they're all going to get a much smaller piece of the pie. I'm glad Spotify is big. You know, I'm glad it's a place people go because you can get onto the Spotify, you can get onto the playlist, and then it's up to the band. And then it's up to Mm -hmm. the labels to make the most of what's being presented to you. Don't bitch about it. You're not going to change it anyway. So sure, maybe right. the royalty rate can be better. I'm not going to argue that. Of course, it can be better. But that's the way it is right now. So work with what you got. Make it work for you. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, and, and it's funny. I saw a few months back, they, they showed uh, Peter Frampton went on to bitch about it. And I brought this up several times on my show. 
And I'm thinking, well, hasn't Peter Frampton gotten ripped off by like three managers over the years? So yeah, maybe someone needs to be more on top of their finances to realize what he's supposed to be getting paid. And also, if an artist sells off all their publishing to get a lump sum payment, are they expecting that streaming is then going to pay them millions of dollars somehow? Songwriter share would be a, a fraction of the fraction. Yeah. Did, did Frampton sell off all his publishing? I don't know if he did, but I know that there are others that complain about it who have sold their publishing off. Like you, you can guarantee that someone, you know, like a Nikki six, every time he has to promote something is complaining about either YouTube or Spotify and, he sold, you know, he sold his publishing off, uh, I think, less than a year ago. So, you know, it's- full respect to Frampton. By the way, I'm a, I actually am a huge Frampton fan. I, I just got this recently, which is the, the Frampton and, you know, the, the original demos for the Stillwater from the movie. Right. I love Frampton. Um, but perspective, I bet he wasn't sitting there bitching when his songs were being played on AM radio and he wasn't getting big checks. Right. Uh, and I'm just going to keep going back to that because if if you stop thinking of Spotify as the service which is stealing your music and barely paying you for it, you start thinking of it as a service which is disseminating your music. Well, great, <laughs> and whatever you can get paid is a bonus. You got to look at it another way too. There's two types of people in this world. There's people who listen to music, and there's mm-hmm. people who love music. People who listen to music probably we're never going to buy it anyways Mm -hmm. to them. The music is something in the background. They may or may not care. Sure. They might have certain songs they like, but if they can bring it up on Spotify, fine. They're happy. That's, you know, that's, that's their world of music. Mm -hmm. The person who loves music is going to buy it. So, you know, the fact that people are, are listening on Spotify to me doesn't take away from the core audience of the people who are still going to be buying your music. And in fact, you might be reaching out to more of them. Gotcha. Okay. Um, Jeremy in the chat asked the question. He says, I'm interested to know where you sell, um, or where you sell to by country. Uh, where's the demand from also shipping costs are very high to the UK. I wanted to buy void Vader vinyl, but the shipping doubled it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Jeremy, by the way, is a kick-ass listener in that chat room, man. He's, <laughs> he's paying attention. He writes some good comments there. So thanks for tuning in, Jeremy. Uh, good questions there. The main question that just to answer for you is that Ripple releases are available in every country on the planet. I think that's maybe not all of Africa, but uh, we're, you know, South America, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, China, all the European countries, UK, um, we're, we are available through multiple distributors. So on a distribution basis in the UK, for example, you can get it at Plastic Head. If you're over on the continent, you can get it from Suburban or from Season of Mist or Bertus Records or Borders or Goodfellows. I mean, there, we have a distributor in, in Spain as well. So we have multiple sub-distributors that can carry our stuff. And if they don't have it, you can always ask them to. And they should be getting it into the record stores. But beyond the distribution, uh, specifically, Jeremy, for you, is that Ripple has its own EU store. We started that up about 18 months ago. Um, We know we ship from America, obviously, and postal rates are ridiculous. Me buying from from Europe or me shipping to Europe, it's all the same. It's terrible. So we opened up our own 
EU store, which is run by a company called Speaker, S-P-K-R, and it's based out of Austria. So you can get all of the Ripple releases, at least that are in stock at, at the Ripple store there, uh, directly from Europe. You don't even have to go through a distributor. If you just go to, I think it's um, en.ripple.spkr.media, I believe. Go to the Ripple website, Ripple, 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 <laughs> Ripple, Ripple, www.ripple-music.com, and you can see there's a link there for the EU store. So anybody who's in Europe can buy directly from us at European shipping rates. Uh, other aspects of the question that you're asking, uh, we really do sell everywhere. I think that our biggest, um, uh, Jeremy, you're killing me, man. He's, just, <laughs> uh, he's, he's commenting that sadly the UK is not in the EU, so you get hammered anyways. You, you might still get hammered, but you'll be hammered less than you would buy from America. I would guess. But you can always try Plastic Head. Plastic Head is based in the UK. So you can go there to get your records. Um, our biggest countries for fans tend to be uh, UK for sure. Um, Sweden, Germany, um, Australia. I think those are our biggest. Audience. Netherlands is another good one. So we have a, a pretty good Euro European fan base which I love because, you know, I love working with European bands. In fact, this is going to be ready for some breaking news. This is your breaking news on your show. <laughs> and nobody knows this yet, but you okay. and Jeremy. Um, <laughs> I'm in the process right now of starting a full-time uh, Ripple European office based in Berlin. Oh, okay, cool. And the purpose of Ripple EU is going to be number one, A&R for all the European bands of course, uh, but tour coordination with the bands uh, being available because of time differences, it might be easier to get information from the EU office, uh, mm -hmm. coordination of, of other aspects of the things that might need. We might be able to set up a merchandise shipping facility so that we can help our bands get their merch out better because it's too expensive to ship merch from America. So the Ripple EU office in Berlin, um, it's, it's not something which is going to happen. It's like happening right now. It's it's okay. It's cool. Just about ready to be announced, and you got it first. Awesome. Um, another question that I had regarding the vinyl: We've been hearing lately that supposedly there's a shortage in the material needed to make vinyl. A lot of it had to do with the whole jam up in the Suez Canal. Um, can you speak to that? Is is that accurate? It is. Yeah. Um, Vinyl pressing right at the moment is in a bit of chaos. It's a, it's a bit of an issue, and it, it's multifactorial. The tie-up in the Suez Canal, of all things, was a problem because the, um, the raw materials for a lot of vinyl pressings were, were tied up in those ships. And so that, of course, will get itself straightened out, but it's worse than that. Um, if you can recall eight months ago-ish, uh, there was a – big fire in Southern California at a plant, which was one of the few places that made the lacquer for lacquer masters. Uh, okay. So not all vinyl pressing needs a lacquer master. A lot of it is DMM, but those who were involved with lacquer mastering, there was only like two plants in the world that could do it. And one's gone and it's not coming back. So that threw a crimp into things. Um, worldwide shipping has been a disaster since COVID happened. Everything is back. It's just, uh, it's just a uh, operational aspect. The logistics have been completely ruined. And then there's other strange things. For example, 
as you know, there's only so many vinyl pressing plants in the world. If I was smart, I would, I would open one of those, but I'm not that smart. I don't want to do it. <laughs> but um, for example, at some of these pressing plants in the midst of COVID, you would have rules that would state that instead of two people working at one press, you could only have one person working at a press. And you couldn't have people working at adjacent presses because they were too close yeah. to each other. So you now right. have vinyl pressing plants that can only uh, function at a very limited capacity because of strict COVID regulations. And then the final thing is, since vinyl is coming back, and since all the majors know this, and since Record Store Day in particular has become so big, mm -hmm. you get this twice a year massive Record Store Day crush of i got something the other day it was like one of five thousand copies made well you know ripple doesn't press five thousand copies of anything and that's just one of what this major is pressing so right. i'm not knocking it these are just it's just the way it is um so the majors are tying up more and more of the press time the press time is more limited the materials to make the vinyl are more limited and the shipping of the vinyl is more limited so it's it's a massive quagmire right now uh, I've heard that some vinyl pressing is being backed out as much as eight months now, which is a long time to wait for a record to get pressed. Wow. should be about two and a half, three months. So wow. it is true. It's, it's sad, but true. In the words of Metallica, it's sad, but true. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that over the course of the next year or so, that will kind of work its, its way back to what it was before, you know, with stuff like yeah. the pandemic, um, you know? To some extent, I mean, the assuming pandemic goes away, uh, that that'll help take care of that. You know, the Suez Canal thing will work itself out. That's not going to be a problem. Shipping will get itself sorted back out. That won't be a problem. Uh, there is still a vast shortage of vinyl presses in the world. You know, Jack White of the White Stripes did the world a favor in opening up one that he opened up, which I think is in Detroit or in Michigan somewhere. Um, but, you know, you, you can't get records pressed there because he's backed up just like everybody else's. We need more right. vinyl presses. Um, and so the fact that there's still a limited amount of vinyl pressing and there is still this massive surgence of vinyl that the majors are investing their product into, you're going to be constantly fighting for a limited amount of resources. So this happened before, about two years ago, where all of a sudden things really took a big delay and it did work itself out within about 12 to 18 months um this one i think is going to be a little bit harder i i think that the the, the majors are so invested in vinyl right now that the limited presses is still going to be a problem so what does that mean well from a label's point of view from a band's point of view ripple has always functioned on a four-month lead-in anyways i just did it because vinyl typically took two and a half to three months so if I had a four-month lead-in that gave me time to troubleshoot issues, to get the product, get it to the band, let them do some pre-release stuff, whatever, make sure my distributor had it so everything was going to be running fine. So now that the delays are happening, uh, because I had a built-in cushion anyways, we haven't yet had our own releases delayed. We've been fortunate. But I hear it's coming. So I am now pushing my lead time to six months. Uh, before I got on with you, I was just putting to bed December releases. Um, okay. And, and hopefully I can keep my lead time at that six month mark. Um, and if it stays at six months for the rest of my life, that's okay. As long as I've prepared for it, 
the bank right. understand and I got my lead in built. The, the labels that got in trouble are those who are you know working more on just a release by release basis and they weren't really thinking about the lead ins and maybe they had a two or three month lead in they got hammered to five months there you know you got to sit around for two months waiting for your records to come right um is there i mean to the only thing that i could think of as an example is there anything similar to like an an ipa uh vinyl plant where there's small you know, shops out there that can make smaller limited runs as opposed to just working with the bigger plants? There are a few. I think the problem truly is the physical existence of vinyl presses on the planet. Okay. Most of the vinyl, I think that um, I might be wrong about this, but I believe that what Jack White did was brought to light, you know, brought online the very first new vinyl pressers since the seventies. Wow. Okay. Right. And it's just like, and I, I think that there was a, I saw a report that some warehouse, they found there was a couple of vinyl presses in them, but like you literally, you need, need to get people who's going to invest the money and start manufacturing new presses. So it's not mm-hmm. really just the existence of the companies. It's you need presses. You need the physical presses. Right. What exists right now is running 24 hours a day, two people on a press side by side, shifting, just going 24 hours a day. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Um, Good problem to have though, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because if there wasn't anything to sell, you wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah, exactly. Makes sense. Um, What are some of the upcoming releases that you can talk to us about that people can expect to see from Ripple in the next few months? Oh, we got a great schedule. If you can, that board behind me right there is is what keeps my life in order. Um, Okay. That is one of four boards that I have in my office that I keep track of every single thing. Um, what everything needs to be done with every single release. Cause there's multiple aspects, right? So uh, right. yeah, we got some really cool stuff going on right now in July. We're releasing the sun crow double LP. Have you heard sun crow? I have not. Oh man, these guys, it's, it's, it's exactly what I was, I was talking about with ripple. It's really heavy. It's really okay. doomy and it's really sludgy but it moves, you know, it's got, it's got a pulse. It's got a vibe. Uh, They were nominated for a Doomy. I think they were nominated for the best debut record, which is this album. Um, Okay. But they had just done it digitally. So we're doing the full worldwide release on that record. And it's going to be a killer record. Uh, That's coming up in July. We also have chapter three of our current split series, which is called turn to stone. And this one is uh, two bands, one called wizard and one called Merlin who are friends and they've been having a, a meme war on Facebook for like 18 months. I mean, they were just, and they're hilarious guys and they're just ripping each other new one on Facebook. And so I finally wrote them. I said, dudes, if you're going to keep doing this, let's take it to vinyl. I come on. You want to have a war? Let's do it. Right. And so each band wrote one full side of their war with the other band. And it's all, you know, psychedelic doom. And, uh, cool. And that is chapter three of the newest split series that we have, which is Turn to Stone, which followed the conclusion of the second coming of Heavy. And then um, coming up in uh, August, just to touch on this one, is that we're working with the Desert Rock Legends of Yawning Man, which is Mario Lolly and Gary Arse. 
and we're re-releasing their first two records. And that's, that's just a thrill, you know, to be, to be working with the guys that actually created the scene. I mean, Mario is the guy that had the generator that brought to the desert to create the right. generator parties. I mean, it was like his generator. You don't get more ground zero than that. And, Absolutely. Uh, and so these are their first two seminal releases. And so we'll be working with them on, on those. And we have the first of those rock formations is going to be coming out in August. Cool. Um, where should people go to keep up with Ripple Music? Where, where do you prefer to point them? Is there a specific platform or? Yeah, you know, I think that the best platform is Facebook. Uh, okay. You know, the Ripple Music page. We have a Facebook group, which is called the Wave Riders Unite. You can find it just by you know searching for it on Facebook. And we're on Facebook and we're on the Wave Riders page pretty much all day long. I update that three, four, five times a day. Our Instagram cool. is is current. Uh, we up, update the Instagram at least two to three times a day. I tweet at least two to three times a day. Our website is updated, but that's updated more like on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. So if you really want to know right. what's going on, our best aspect is probably Facebook. Awesome. Cool. I want to thank you for your time. The, the uh, discussion was uh, far beyond what I, you know, imagined. Uh, I've always said this since I started doing the live streams again, because one of the knocks was that I wasn't getting huge names on the show all the time. And I said, well, I just want to have a good conversation with someone about music. And I think that we were able to accomplish that. I'll, I'll hotter than hell. You're back anytime, man. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Todd, thank you for your time and uh, much success uh, to you and to ripple. Uh, going forward. So thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate the support and keep doing what you do. It means the world to the scene. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Todd, have a good one. Bye-bye. That was my interview with Mr. Todd Severn from ripple music. Please check out their Facebook, check out the label site as well. If you want to pick up any of uh, the music that they are selling, um, they're doing a lot of unique stuff with the vinyl. Obviously I brought up Eric from void Vader. Uh, you guys have always given me a positive reaction, uh, with regards to void Vader and they've done a lot of cool stuff with, with the vinyls that they've released, uh, for this latest album. So, um, like I always say, support the bands you love, you know, go to Spotify, go to Apple music, check the stuff out. And then, I realize that not everyone, not everyone is in the same monetary situation, but if you can go out and purchase a vinyl, purchase a t-shirt, do it. Support a label like Ripple that is doing the right thing and getting young bands and getting bands of all, you know, all styles of music out there. So uh, that is it. I want to thank everyone who joined us in the chat, everyone who is listening to this uh, on playback in the podcast version, or if you check this out uh, later on, on YouTube, thanks for, thanks for spending the time to um, check what I do out. It is very much appreciated. And that is it. We will end this show and expect to see this, you know, up on the podcast in about a week or so. So um, thanks for your time. And uh, that is it. We will see you here next time on the signals from Mars podcast slash Mars Attacks podcast. Thank you 
for listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. This concludes our show. 